in chapter 20. We began a series actually um, in January called How to Solve Problems. In lesson one, we saw that the solution to our problems are in the problem themselves. We, uh, in, as you remember, the Israelites found themselves at the Red Sea and the Red Sea posed to them a huge problem. Do you remember what it was that solved the problem? The Red Sea. That's right. The solution is in the problem. That which you look upon as disaster, Mount of Blessing 61, paragraph 1 says, that which you look upon as disaster is the door to highest benefits. So where's the door to the highest benefits? It's in the disaster. That's right. Then we went on to uh, lesson, cha- uh, lesson 2 and we saw that God there presents himself more as a teacher rather than a surgeon. Now, there's a lot of people we saw, of course, that would like that God would act more like a surgeon. They'd like them, they would like God to take them and put them on the table, put them to sleep, perform this operation, and when they wake up, everything that was wrong has been righted, and how Christianity would be easy if it was that way. But Christianity isn't that way. Jesus says, I will show you the path of life. I will instruct you. I will teach you. He presents himself as a teacher. And if he presents himself as a teacher, in cooperation with him, we can hear his voice saying here, I want you to study. See, I'm the teacher. You study to show yourself approved unto God. And by such ways, anyhow, we're studying on how to solve problems. As you know, I hope you know, you're beginning to know anyway, that life is a school and God is the teacher. Now, in this school, God uses three great textbooks. The one, the first textbook is the Bible, of course, which is the written word. The second textbook is nature, which is the word illustrated. And the third textbook is the experiences of life. Now, in school, whether it be in formal school here in this world or in the school of God, there are two phases to the education. And so there is a theoretical phase and there's an experimental phase. If you were to go into a a chemistry class, the chemistry teacher would probably stand before you as I am today and would lecture upon whatever subject she wants to lecture on or he wants to lecture on in the for half an hour, for an hour, whatever it is, but then all the students would have to be transferred to the laboratory so that they could experiment with the theory that they've just heard. If there isn't that kind of a cooperation, <clears throat> excuse me, between the theoretical and the experimental, uh, education begins to fall apart. It doesn't work as well. Now, of course, the Bible is a book of theory, it's a book of theology, it's a book of principles, and nature, and in nature, we make observations. But then, friends, we must take these theoretical observations and bring them into the laboratory of human experience. And friends, there are far too many so-called Christians who are only Christians in theory, Christians in theology, They're Christians intellectually. As a matter of fact, I believe in my mind that this is what makes up the Laodicean church. A whole church, a whole Christian era of people who are converted intellectually, but who do not take the truth into the experimental laboratory of their lives. Okay, they're spectators and not participants. All right, well anyway, you know that life teaches us that. Can we learn mechanics in books only? 
Can a person become a seamstress by reading a book only? Would you take your car to a mechanic if all that he knew about mechanic is, mechanics is what he read in a book? Would you take your dress or you, would you take your material to a seamstress who uh, has never used a sewing machine? All that she knows is what she's read in the book? Why, no, we wouldn't do that in a very practical world, but it's amazing to me how we tend to want to do that in the spiritual. We like to read the Bible. And because we read the Bible, we consider that we are Christians. Well, I'll tell you what, reading the Bible will not make you a Christian if that which you read in the Bible does not, is not included in your everyday experiment of life, in your life. All right? Ministry of Healing 4.56 says this. An acquaintance with facts and theories important in themselves. Is it important that we learn facts and theories and theologies even? Of course it's important. We wouldn't have an idea if we didn't learn what, you know, theoretically, what we have to learn. And so they are important in themselves. An acquaintance with facts and theories important in themselves is of little value unless put into practical use. And so we need to take the things we learn, we need to apply them in our lives. Now, who's the author of the Bible? God is. Who's the creator of all nature? God is. Who is it that, say, that said, I will lead you in the path of life? God did. Who is it that said, I will instruct you and I will teach you? I will send the Holy Spirit and He will teach you all things. Who said that? God did. Now, does he lead everybody in the same path? Oh, no. No. Why not? Isn't that what we do? Do we take a bunch of little kids, 30 little kids, and we cram them in one classroom, and then we feed them all the same curriculum? Don't we? Yeah. Does God do it that way? No, no. Now, in a, sense, in a sense, there is only one Bible, right? And nature surrounds us, and the nature that surrounds us is the same nature for everyone else. But I'll tell you what, when it comes to the experience of life, when it comes to this laboratory experiment in life, God takes every individual individually. God becomes a one-on-one -on -one teacher. And it's an amazing thing. But He does that because you are unique. And He does not want you to be any less unique than then you are, see? You are an individual, and it's amazing to me, but in the book of life, there's a page totally dedicated to you. And that's true. And in that page, you're going to have an experience in life. Your life will be absolutely, completely, totally different from the lives of everyone else in the whole world. And you can see that. I mean, you can go to the Bible and, and see it for yourself. Is Moses just like Job? Is Job just like Joseph? Is Joseph just like Daniel? Well, who in the Bible is just like anybody else in the Bible? Well, there isn't one soul. Who in the world do you know that's just like somebody else? Even if you have identical twins, you know that there are huge differences, that they are not just the same. And God doesn't want them to be the same either. And so He's elected Himself to be our teacher. All right. Turn with, you're in with me now in Revelation chapter 20. This, of course, is the um, last great judgment. And here's what it says. Verse 12. Revelation 20, verse 12. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. So notice, everyone's dead, but now they're all standing before God. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So there's a book written. God said, I will show you the path of life. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way that you should go. You should go in that way. And when it's all over, a thousand years from now, we're all going to be resurrected. He's going to take out the book and he's going to say, okay, you were the student. I was the teacher. Did you do your homework? Did you follow the plan? Did you do what I told you to do? Did, when I led you, did you follow? And it's all going to be written there because our life is going to be in that book, all lined up. And it's going to be seen whether we walked with God or whether we decided we were going to do our own thing. In Revelation 21, of course, verse 27, it says this, And there shall in no wise, this is the judgment, this is the outcome, there shall in no wise enter into it, that is heaven, anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. They which remain written in the Lamb's book of life. They who looked at God as their teacher and He was showing them the path of life and they walked in the path that He was showing them and they remained in the Lamb's book of life. It's a blessing to me. Now turn now to um, Psalms 139. In essence, we should read the whole Psalms 139, because it bears on what we're trying to say this morning. But we don't have time, so we're just going to read verses 15 and 16. My substance, that is what I am, what, how shall I say, what constitutes my being, okay? My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, God could see, God could understand, He knew me, He knew all of me, my whole substance. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. As a matter of fact, there was a book written, and there was a page in the book with you in mind, and everything was written there when there was yet none of you. <laughs> Not a bit of the substance in existence. Isn't that amazing? Yes. God has a plan for each one of us. God has a way that each one must take. He's given us the Bible. He's given us nature. And we can see by the Bible illustrated there. And then He comes in person. God comes as the teacher. He comes to every one of us. And He says, I will show you the way that I want you to take. Okay? Take your Bible. Study to show yourself approved unto God. And then I will begin to organize, you know, in heavenly places, 265, it says, He is the orderer of all our experiences. How many experiences? All of them. Now, did He order your life like He ordered mine? Oh, no. No, no. He has a different experience for us all. Now, the principles are all the same, but He wants you to do something that He doesn't want me to do. He asks of you things that He will not ask of me. He will ask of me things that He will not ask of you. And some people might just rise up and say, Oh, why do I have to do this? I don't see anybody else convicted that they have to do this. Well, that's alright. <laughs> you know, who's your God? Who's your teacher? Are you walking with people or are you walking with God? 
Is he guiding in your life? And supposing he does ask you to do something that he will not ask anyone else to do. Is that all right? Friends, he knows where he's going with you. You don't know. I don't know, do you? And so, what are we going to do? We need to follow. We need to follow. Now, in this school of life, of course, our laboratory experiments are called problems. That's what they're called. Uh, this is what we're studying this morning, how to solve problems. This is the third class in the, in the, in, on that topic. Now, turn with me to Jonah, chapter 1. Jonah, chapter 1. We're going to start, and actually, the class on how to solve problems is starting right now. All the rest was introduction. It took two whole sermons and a quarter of another one to cover the introduction but now we want to start down the ABCs of problem solving. And this morning we're going to look at A of problem solving. And the A of problem solving is very, very simple. As a matter of fact, we, we've touched upon it already, but we can say it in these words. A is accept the assignment. You know what it means to accept the assignment? Somebody ever given you an assignment? Well, you've got to accept the assignment if uh, you're going to get it done, right? Supposing you were a chemistry teacher or supposing you're in a class and there is a chemistry teacher and the chemistry teacher decides a part of the class is going to experiment with this over here. Another part of the class is going to experiment with that over there. Or the chemistry teacher might just decide there's 20 students in the class and every student's going to experiment on a different part of the whole. So everyone's doing a different experiment. Now, how's a student to know which experiment he's going to experiment on? Well, that's right. The teacher is going to have to tell him, right, what to do and where to go. But, oh, teacher, listen, that isn't the problem that I want. You see, I want a different problem. If only I could have the problem that Paul has or that Peter has or that Alice has, I'd be so happy if I had that problem. But this problem that's staring me in the face, oh, that's not the problem that I want. That one is just too much. You know, I heard the story one time of a mother who had five children. But do you know, bless her heart, what she wanted to do? Why? She wanted to be a missionary. She just thought it would be so wonderful if she could go to the mission field and serve God out there in the mission field. But uh, she had five children. What should she do? What do you think? Her kids alone were a full assignment, weren't they? Sure, they were. So what should she do? She needed to accept the assignment that Providence had already given to her. And providence, by the way, is just another way of saying problems. In this context, anyway. So she had a problem. And the best option for her to follow was to accept the assignment. The problem that was at hand was the thing that she needed to deal with. Do you know that this is the best preparation? This is the best education? This is the best training that she could have gotten to prepare her for the mission field? Did you know that? It's amazing to me, but I watch lives as I watch lives. And like I say, God doesn't lead in every life the same. But I remember when we first became Seventh-day Adventists, I was 27 years old, my wife was 25. We already had three children and we were gung-ho, we were into the church, we were changing, we were making every change there was to make. And the first thing we know, eight months after we were baptized, we were in self-supporting work. And the reason we were in self-supporting work was because we wanted to be medical missionaries. That's what they said. We joined a medical missionary training school. 
And they were going to teach us how to be medical missionaries. And they were going to do it within one year, maybe two, uh, depending on our, how hard our heads were. You see? So there we went. We enlisted. We paid $225 a month. Never paid so much to work so hard, I always said. Because that's how it was. I remember donning snowshoes. And you know, up there, it was in the snow belt. We had snow this deep. And we had a sugar bush, you know, maple syrup. We used to do 250 gallons of maple syrup every winter. And it ha- we had five miles of line from tree to tree that we had to, you know, drill in the trees and put in all the lines. And the snow was this high. And I tell you, have you ever been on snowshoes? Yeah. I had a dog... And my dog insisted on walking on my snowshoes. <laughs> I was always carrying this dog. Yeah, yeah. Do you know how long it took for us to get to the mission field? I, I, I don't know how long. <laughs> it was eight plus two and a half plus another two. I'd gone to school for one season. I thought we were going to go for one year. Then we would be sent to the mission field and we could practice medical missionary work. Do you know that it was probably 12 years or more before we even got to the mission field? At least the mission field we wanted to go to. See? But who is it that's guiding? And who knows what the preparation is that you and I need? And who are we to tell him what it is? See? He has a way to educate us. And it isn't always in the way that we think. It's going to be. In Ministry of Healing 481, paragraph 3, it says this. The faithful discharge of today's duties is the best preparation for tomorrow's trial. Did you hear it? The faithful discharge of today's duties is the best preparation for tomorrow's trials. Now, what is it that we can expect tomorrow? Trial. (laughs) Why? That doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, aren't we learning to live so that we have no trials in the future? No. No. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upwards. As long as we're in this world, we shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. He has overcome the world and He'll give us the power it takes to overcome the problems as they come. But I'll tell you what, tomorrow you can expect problems. Do you know why? Have you ever been to school? Were you ever given a math teacher in school? What did this math teacher give you? Math problems. Well, what kind of a teacher would she be if she hadn't given you any math problems? Wouldn't it have been wonderful? Here we have a math teacher who doesn't give you any math problems. How much math would you have learned? And how would you have gotten from basic adding and subtracting and multiplying and whatever else there is in basic math? I don't know if I did. But anyway, have you ever been there? And how in the world do you think you would have dealt with calculus if you had not dealt with the basic math? You see, this is life. This is what God is. And He illustrates it in the world all the time. All the time. Now, what is it that's going to prepare us for tomorrow's problems? The faithful discharge of dealing with today's problems. Isn't that it? Who alone knows what tomorrow is going to bring? Well, yeah. yeah. So then who should decide what problems we should face today? Well, it's not you and me, but we sure would like to decide, wouldn't we? And when a problem gets to be a little rough today, we say, ah, let me out of here. 
Get me out of here. You know, I don't want to face this problem anymore. This is not my problem. See, let it be somebody else's problem. And the Lord says, but you don't know the future. You don't know where I'm leading you. You don't know the preparation that you need for facing what you're facing tomorrow. This is why I'm sending you this thing. And friends, we have two options. We can accept the assignment or we can reject the assignment. Do you remember the assignment that the teacher gave to Jonah? We're in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, we look at verse 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Here's your assignment. Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Apparently, nothing would better prepare Jonah for the future that he was facing. He didn't know what the future was. God knew what it was. And God said, hey, I'm the teacher. I know where you're going. I will show you the path of life. And in your path, in this life, you've got to go to Nineveh and cry against it. That's what I want you to do. But to Jonah, this was a huge problem. This was a problem he didn't want to face. And Jonah had a solution to this problem too, didn't he? Was it a good one? Well, I'll tell you what. It solved his problem, but it did little for the problem that the Ninevites were facing. There was a time in, in the gospel, you, you remember reading the feeding of the 5,000. You remember the situation surrounding the feeding of the 5,000? There were 5,000 men, not counting men, women, and children. And they were all there. They had been there all day long listening to Jesus. They were entranced by what he had to say. But evening kept crept on. And when it became evening, it was apparent that there was a huge problem. And so the disciples came to Jesus with a very simple solution. They said to Jesus, there's a huge problem. These people are tired. These people are hungry. And we've got a solution. Send them away, Lord. <laughs> that was their solution. You can read it there in the gospel. And Jesus said, you don't understand. You don't understand. I put this problem in your path for you to solve the problem. Their problem, not your problem. So I want you to feed them. And they said, but Lord, we don't, we don't you know, look at what we have. It's so little. And God wanted us to learn, listen, I know what I'm doing in your life. I know the problems I'm putting in your path. I know that you can solve them. And if you do, in cooperation with the assignments that I have given you, then it will prepare you for a greater assignment in the future. Did you know that if you meet your problems in the right spirit today, that you will be rewarded with greater problems tomorrow? Isn't the Lord good? Don't you just enjoy His approach to life? Yeah, but it happens to be true. That's just the way it is. Just the way it is. You know, I heard of a lady one time. Uh, she just witnessed a terrible, terrible accident. She was in downtown on the street. There was an accident. Somebody got hit by a car and they were bleeding and they were suffering. And praise the Lord, fortunately for her, she had taken uh, first aid and she knew just what to do. She sat on the curb and she put her head between her knees. She knew what to do, see? Whose problem did she solve? Yeah, she solved her own problem. She didn't do much for the problem of the one that was hurting, right? Why in the world did she take a first aid course? So what did Jonah do in facing the problem that the Ninevites were having? He left school. That's what he did. He did. But you know, the teacher loved Jonah very much. 
The teacher really loved him and so the teacher went with him and he transferred the school into the bottom of the sea. Three days and three nights there was intensive application to the real problem. Did Jonah learn a lesson down there in the bottom of the sea? Oh yes, oh yes. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. And when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. Friends, that's the answer to every problem in life. God is the answer. We don't have the answer. God has every answer. And anytime you have a problem, what does it say in Psalms 50 verse 15? Ah, I don't remember. But I remember it's 50 verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, right? I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Is it true? And so old Jonah had decided that he had a solution to the problem. It wasn't God's solution. Therefore, it was not the solution. And so school went on and on until he was convinced as to where the solution was. And so the verse says, when my soul fainted within me for having such a problem. And I tell you what, he had a problem then. I remembered the Lord and my prayer came in unto thee, unto thine holy temple. And the result of that is seen in verse 9. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation, that is rescue, is of the Lord. Did the Lord solve that problem that uh, Jonah was facing at the moment? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, what did the teacher tell Jonah the very next day? Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord, the teacher, by the way, came to the student or the pupil, Jonah, the second time saying, hey, (laughs) here's your assignment. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. What I told you to do before, that's your assignment. Okay? That's what I want you to do. Same assignment. Oh, but listen, didn't I learn my lesson down there in the belly of the fish? Well, apparently not. Apparently not. Not if you haven't learned enough to accept the assignment. Because that was the whole lesson. That's what it was all about. Okay? As a matter of fact, friends, and don't miss this. If you missed anything else, don't miss this. Nobody can learn anything more until they learn the first lesson in problem solving, and that's to accept the assignment. We can't be ready for the future if we don't deal with our present assignments. Now, that's the A of problem solving. It's not the B. It's not the C. It's not the D, B, D, and C, and F, and G. And by the way, we're going to go all the way to G (laughs) in um, principles of problem solving. We're going to go at least that far and then some, I think. But none of it is A if it isn't A, okay? And none of it will help you if you don't learn the lesson of accepting the assignment that God sets right before you. Now, Jonah was quite willing to preach the gospel. Did you know that? He was quite willing to preach the gospel just where he was, and I don't know exactly where he was. He was quite willing to go to Tarshish and to preach the gospel there. Why, do I, why can't I work for God right here? Why can't I go and work for God in Tarshish? Why, why do I have to go to Nineveh to work for God? Why do I have to go to Africa? Why can't somebody else go there, right? Have you ever talked that way? When we first became Christians, somebody from Eden Valley 
As a matter of fact, two families from Eden Valley. This was in northern Canada now. They came to where we were at our church and they said there's going to be a convention in South River, which they had just started a new self-supporting school in South River called Woodland Park Foundation. And they came and they invited us. We were just brand new in the church and we were on fire. Therefore, anything new was great. And so we decided that we would go to this convention. The convention was so great. I mean, the convention was, it just blew us away. We'd never met people like this in all of our lives. Guys like uh, Elder Frizee and Ralph Martin and, and, and Ron Crary and Bill Dull and Larry Fleming. And, and it was in the heyday of the early 70s when everything was happening. Restaurants were sprouting and institutions and, and it was all filled with miracles. And we were just like, whoa, these are just normal people. And the Lord is doing so much through them. And we got all inspired that weekend. And we said, Lord... Can it be that you want us to join with this gang, with this group? And the Lord said, well, I remember we just got on our knees and we said, Lord, listen, we own a house and it's not quite finished yet. And if we're ever going to have to transfer from there to there, we'll have to sell our house and our house isn't finished. It won't get the best bang for the buck. You know, we've, we've got to finish it. We don't have any money. But I'd had a car accident a year earlier and I had never received uh, the compensation for my car and for my injuries. And it was the other person's fault. And so I said this. I said, listen, if you will give me the money from that settlement, and that had been a whole year and I hadn't heard a word in a year. If you will give me the settlement from that accident this week, this week, then I'll know that you're telling us you want us to finish the house and you want us in self-supporting work. So I went to the post office every day, every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That was the last day, by the way. And do you know that the check was there on Friday? I'd never heard a word in a year. And there the check was. Boop. Friday, last day, last minute. And it was three times more than I expected. And it took all of it to finish the house that we were building. Well, had been in building for five years. It was almost finished, but it still needed a few doors to hang and some trim and whatever, whatever. Well, now comes the problem. We finished the house and we thought, oh, isn't it nice? <laughs> Brand new home and uh, we're finally finished and we own it and we're still young. And why do we have to serve the Lord anywhere else? Why can't we serve the Lord here? We are in the church. That was the question. And we began to waffle, both my wife and I, we just all of a sudden began to like where we were. <laughs> but you remember we'd made a deal, right? With the Lord. One day, this is February, approximately February, in winter in Canada. And I get a phone call in the middle of the afternoon. It's my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is my mining par partner. He'd pick me up on the way by and we'd go to the mine, we'd work and he'd drop me off and he'd go home. He lived seven miles for where, from where I lived. He calls up and he says, hey, there's a road closure on the radio and there's a huge snowstorm and I don't think we're going to make it in and uh, maybe we should just not go in today. And I'm looking at the telephone, I'm looking outside, blue skies, it's sunny, there's not a flake of snow falling in any direction. This guy never misses any time. Nothing makes sense. And, and we just, what in the world is this? You know? And so my wife and I are there in the living room. And I, I told my wife what was going on. And she said, well, let's turn the radio on and see if there is indeed a road closure somewhere. She turned the radio on and a voice came on. The voice said, I am looking for a house. 
and I'm looking for the house to be 10 miles from the city. I'm looking for the house to have three bedrooms. I'm looking for the house at this price range. And he described, he could not have described our house better. He just described our house. And my wife and I looked at each other and said, are we going to call the number? It seemed like we had no choice. We called the number. The guy came over and bought it. Just like that. I mean, there was no negotiation. There was, he paid all that we asked, everything, just like that. And there we were, no house. <laughs> so what were we to do? Yeah, accept the assignment, right? That was the assignment. That's what God wanted us to do. And Jonah was having the same, same problem. But why should we go there? Because, friends, God knew the future. He knew the problems we would have to face in the future. And He knew the problems necessary today to build us up so that we could deal with the problems that we would face in the future. We've got to work where God is working. We need to stop taking trips to Tarshish or to stop wasting our times in the belly of a whale. What do you say? We need to learn to accept the assignment. Now, in Steps to Christ, page 83, it says this. We only have to go forward quietly, doing faithfully the work that God's providence assigns. And our lives will not be in vain. What does vain mean? Futile, wasted, empty. What do we need to do so that our lives are not wasted? All we've got to do is go forward quietly, accepting the assignment that God gives us. That's all. That's all. Life isn't complicated. Is it? Oh, we think it's complicated because we live in a, a darkness of uncertainty. We can't see the future and we don't know what's going to happen. But God knows. And does He love us? You know, I really appreciate uh, Ariane's uh, testimony this morning. It's fantastic. Great spirit. Yeah. She's accepted the assignment. <laughs> it's obvious. And it's a blessing to my soul. Mm -hmm. Was Jesus given an assignment there in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah, yeah. Did He want to do it? No, no. Did He say to His Father, Oh, Father, listen, I don't want to do it. Isn't there another planet where I can go and work? Is that what He said? No. What did He say? He said, The cup that my Father gives me, shall I not drink it? What do you think? Not my assignment but thine be done. That's what he said. And I would like to encourage you this morning because I know, I mean, I think I know, if I have any experience in this life, I know something of the fact that life in and of itself is not easy. Problems, 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 problems. But friends, when we begin to see problems in the light of reality, then we begin to realize that it's, they're not real problems. <laughs> They're stepping stones. They're our education. This is what God has sent to prepare us for what's coming next. Until that day that He comes in the clouds of glory and He says, listen, the problems are done. You've graduated. Thank you for pulling through kindergarten. Now we're going to go to school. <laughs> now we're going to go to a higher school in heaven above. Do you know that the Lord is going to be our teacher there? Yeah. But do you know that the problems will have a different flavor there? I hope so. <laughs> In any case, God is good and there's not one of us going to be hurt.
through his system if we will accept the assignment that he gives us and not run away. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.